property market is nothing close to what you see in other major cities around the world. Uh, it is a very political issue because it represents the widening of the income gap between the working class and the middle class. Uh, so the current left-wing government uh, is uh, quite determined to ensure that the, uh, the uh, working class do not get left behind. Uh, they're trying to promote uh, home ownership by the working class, but doing it by way of uh, trying to clamp down on the middle class rather than promoting uh, the affordability from the working class. And I think that's miscalculated. Uh, and I do believe that it is one big drag on the domestic economy, which is doing okay. But if the uh, property market was able to do its thing on the upside, the wealth effect and consumption effect would have been much more uh, powerful. Uh, so it's a little, little bit un- unfortunate. Peter, always good to talk to you. Thanks very much. That's Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And over in South Korea, the Cosby is up two-thirds of 1% at the moment. Uh, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 has rallied about a quarter percent. In Australia, the SX100, uh, the SX200 up three quarters of 1%. And looks like, uh, the Hong Kong markets, the Hang Seng is going to open about 225 points higher later on this morning. And in the commodities markets, the big mover, gold at a nine-year high above $1,800. It's trading right now at $1,809 announce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do stay tuned. Back chat's coming up with Jim Gould and Karen Coe after the news. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, hot with one or two showers, sunny periods during the day and a maximum temperature of about 32 degrees. The outlook, mainly fine and very hot apart from isolated showers in the next few days. Temperature right now is 30 degrees and it's 80% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. A public doctor has expressed concern about whether public hospitals can cope with a mass coronavirus outbreak after authorities reported 19 new local cases yesterday. Arasina Ma, president of the Public Doctors Association, described it as embarrassing that the hospital authority had started to resume normal services and revert some isolation wards back to normal as it was thought the pandemic was under control. Midsummer is also another peak season for admission and high occupancy rate. So we have already started plan for start normal service. But because of the sudden change of the condition in this week, we need to make a judgment, a new arrangement again. However, this is a very painful situation because, first of all, we got a large number of new confirmed cases. On the other hand, we also have quite high number of normal admission every day. The number of people who've tested positive for the coronavirus in the United States has officially passed 3 million. The milestone comes as the Trump administration is increasingly under fire for its handling of the outbreak, with cases still surging. The U.S. Vice President Mike Pence announced the latest figures. At this point, we have tested more than 39 million Americans. Among those, uh, more than 3 million Americans have tested positive and more than 1.3 million Americans have recovered. Sadly, more than 133,000 Americans have lost their lives, and our sympathies are with all of the impacted families. In some southern and western states, including Texas, Florida and Arizona, hospitals are struggling to cope. Mr Pence has defended President Trump's approach to the pandemic, saying the, last, the latest wave appears to be flattening out. 
Donald Trump says relations with Mexico have never been as good as a new North American free trade deal came into force. Speaking after a meeting with President Andres Manuel López Obrador at the White House, Mr Trump praised Mexico's hard-working people and said the agreement would help the whole region. It's the largest, fairest and most advanced trade deal ever reached by any country, and it will bring enormous prosperity to both American and Mexican workers and Canada. But this has been a, uh, a tremendous achievement. It's actually the largest trade deal ever made. Mr. Lopez Obrador thanked Mr. Trump for always treating Mexico with respect. The American president angered many Mexicans for saying during his electoral campaign that he would build a border wall and make Mexico pay for it. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. Uh, I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Karen Coe. Good morning, Karen. Hi, good morning, Jim. This morning we're talking about what's being described as a third wave of the coronavirus outbreak in the Territory. More than two dozen locally transmitted infections have been reported over the past two days after several weeks when it seemed the situation was largely under control. A number of those cases are linked to an elderly care home in Siwan Shan as well as two restaurants. Quarantine measures have been strengthened and a return to tighter containment requirements now seems on the cards. What has caused the new wave of confirmed cases? Relaxed social distancing? Have people become less vigilant? We'll be talking to the experts, but we'd like to hear from you as well. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat, on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk, that's backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233 and this morning we have uh, on the line with us uh, Professor Malik Pieris, who's the uh, Chair of Virology at the University of Hong Kong's uh, School of Public Health, and also Dr Sarah Borwine, who's a, a Canadian physician who trained at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Um, but just before we get to our guests, I have a few emails to read out first. Um, these relating to uh, yesterday's programme. Uh, regular listeners may be aware that uh, uh, our Wednesday co-host, uh, Rachel Cartland, announced that uh, she would no longer be taking part in the programme uh, because of uh, concerns about the new uh, national security law. Um, this was uh, some of the reaction from some of our listeners. Um, Shirley writes, um, Rachel Cartland, you will be missed. Uh, great job. If anyone has to go, surely it should be Carrie. And James writes, uh, hearing Rachel explain why she decided to leave the show made me shed a tear for Hong Kong. Um, this, uh, also relating to yesterday's discussion... Um, this from Ching, who writes, uh, Today one of your listeners claimed that people can appeal to higher courts if they are charged under the US Patriot Act, comparing the Patriot Act uh, to the new national security law, that is. She said, goes on to say, uh, This is not entirely true. The US created the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, known as the FISA, in 1978, to oversee sensitive law enforcement surveillance. It has been sharply criticised for having issued permits for secret searches and wiretaps for up to one year, without 
without ever notifying the target of the investigation in closed courts with secret rulings. In 2011, the Obama administration secretly won per permission from the FISA court to reverse restrictions on the National Security Agency's use of intercepted phone calls and emails, permitting the agency to search deliberately for Americans' communications on its massive databases without public debate or any specific authority from Congress. This is well known. That from Ching. And one more uh, email. Uh, this is on uh, today's subject. Uh, dear Backchat, uh, this from Mary. Mary writes, uh, perhaps one of the COVID experts could comment on this matter. Despite complaints going back years, Yao Chim and many other districts are literally awash with the discharge from poorly maintained air cons, dripping contaminated water onto commuters at bus stops and pedestrians. Perpetrators should have received multiple notices by now, but no improvement has been achieved. However, we now have a very contagious virus within the community that is spread via droplets. Some of the defective air cons are at buildings known to house guest houses, so odds are that visitors in quarantine, etc., are housed within. That from Mary. Uh, well, let's uh, talk first to uh, Professor Malik Pieris, who's uh, Chair of Virology at uh, Hong Kong U School of Public Health. Uh, good morning to you. Morning, Jim. So, uh, so this sudden and new increase in locally uh, transmitted coronavirus cases, um, uh, are we now in a pretty serious position? Uh, well, it's certainly uh, very concerning. There's no question about it. But to, to some extent, not completely unexpected. Uh, I think um, the virus probably never completely disappeared uh, from Hong Kong. I'm not talking about the imported cases, but I'm talking about even transmission within Hong Kong. Because you remember uh, going back uh, two months, there was one cluster, then there was another cluster. Um, and now, of course, we are having a number of uh, separate clusters. But this most recent upsurge, I think, is uh, also associated with the relaxing of some of the social distancing measures, uh, particularly in restaurants, bars, and, and things like that. Um, so I, I think um, uh, we certainly have to take it very seriously and, and uh, try to stamp it out as uh, fast as possible because otherwise it could balloon out beyond uh, you know, um, easy management. And how will we be able to stamp it out? Uh, a, a return to tighter control measures? Yes, I think a selective reimposition of some of the social distancing measures that they used in the past uh, probably definitely will be needed. Uh, and, I mean, you know, sadly, certainly for the uh, industries involved, but uh, certainly uh, things like restaurants, bars, gyms, etc., certainly might need to be looked at again. The uh, numbers of people that are allowed together in one place probably also may need to be reduced. Um, and surveillance and testing probably needs to be increased. But I don't think, you know, I think this whole package of uh, measures would need to be imposed because we know that this worked last time and uh, uh, we can bring it under control again. So, Professor Pierce, I mean, we've been dealing with this virus for coming on to six months now. Do you think this is just going to be the pattern of um, what is going to happen in Hong Kong as it is in other places, that we enforce tighter restrictions, cases come down, and then as we open up again, we're going to see cases go up again. Um, yes, sadly, that is the case, because I think, you know, the, 
under normal circumstances, an outbreak comes under control and enough people in the population become infected and immune. Uh, now in Hong Kong, we are nowhere near it. I mean, we have been doing studies on uh, 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 blood donors in Hong Kong and essentially it's close to zero. So we are completely vulnerable. Um, and even in places like New York, heavily infected still, only about 20% of people are infected. And, and that's way below the levels that are needed for the immunity to control an outbreak. So essentially, um, you know, all communities, and especially Hong Kong, is totally vulnerable. What has controlled the outbreak is these uh, social distancing measures, community participation, which is great. I mean, I think Hong Kong uh, citizens really have played their part. But I think the logic always has been that we will continue this path until... Um, we get to uh, a vaccine, uh, hopefully, which can confer this population immunity that under normal circumstances would come from many people getting infected, which is too costly, uh, costly in, in human lives, I mean. Mm. So I think, uh, the, I mean, I think if now that vaccines are on the horizon, uh, I think it's important that Hong Kong does make, take steps to secure whichever vaccines it uh, thinks is, is best. But until that time, we will have to continue this suppress and lift uh, approach. Uh, Dr. Sarah Borwein, uh, what's your assessment of this new upsurge in cases? Uh, good morning. Uh, well, actually, I completely agree with Professor Harris. I think it was it's worrying, but not surprising, really. And, you know, we have kind of two issues. The big issue really is that this isn't going to be over here until it's over everywhere. It's not over anywhere until the whole world has it under control. All borders are porous, even though we have our borders closed, it's still a little bit porous. We can do a better job controlling our borders, perhaps, but that's still going to be porous. And as Professor Paris has, has pointed out, this is a disease that really has a tendency to percolate. So you don't see it for a long time due to its long incubation period. So it can percolate along with mild and asymptomatic cases until you suddenly see it. And by the time you see it, you may already have a problem. So I, I think between those two things, it's not surprising, but it was always kind of thought that we would have to do this cyclic suppress and lift uh, approach with this virus. And I think we're seeing that play out. Uh, we, we have actually tightened um, quarantine uh, restrictions here. I mean, for instance, uh, uh, domestic helpers arriving will have to spend a, a, a two weeks in a hotel um, in quarantine. Um, airline staff, uh, ship crew, people like that who were previously exempt from uh, from uh, having tests for COVID-19 will now have to be tested. Uh, um, those measures will help, presumably. One of the loopholes has not been our local air crew, who, yes, they are now going to be required to test, and that's, that's a good idea. But the bigger loophole has actually been the foreign air crews who come into the city, who spend a few days here, and they come from, you know, the UK or the US or, or elsewhere, and they're also exempted from the quarantine. And often uh, they go out and socialize in Hong Kong. So I think that probably is a loophole that really does need to be tightened up. Dr. Bowen, the other thing that we are now seeing, which we, we didn't see in previous months, is cases linked to an elderly care home. And we know that in other countries, the, that is among the worst possible scenario you can have. Uh, what do you think is, is going to happen there and what, what should be done now? 
Yeah, that, that really is sad in a way. I'm, my own kind of Canadian, and I think you may know that in Canada there's been, in particular in Quebec, some real tragedies with the long-term care facilities. So I was very sad to see that. I think they're going to have to look at where the disease came in. I saw some news in the paper this morning about perhaps uh, staff visiting more than one facility and that that's, it's just going to have to be tightened up in order to keep it out of the, the care facilities. We know you can do it, but it requires great vigilance and great attention to detail. So generally, do you think, I mean, psychologically as a, as a community, we have been under these restrictions for so long that people maybe were lulled into a false sense of security that it wasn't spreading that much and since um, people are being tested coming in at, at the airport that we sort of felt, well, maybe it's it's on the way out. Yes, perhaps that's the triumph of hope over reason. We all want to believe that. We are tired of social distancing, and it's a bit of human nature to be all or none. So, you know, we're either very strict in our social distancing or we want to relax it completely, and we have to find a middle ground. We have to maintain vigilance for the foreseeable future. You know, masks are going to be part of our lives for the foreseeable future. Testing when you're sick is going to be part of our lives for the foreseeable future, and we really just need to all cooperate with that. Uh, could we ask you uh, uh, both? Um, I mean, what about uh, general community hygiene standards? I mean, I mean, how about uh, the point that uh, Mary made, which I read out a little earlier about dripping aircons? I mean, they are still a problem when you walk around the streets in summer, aren't they? I mean, I mean uh, could that be a, a source, a cause of uh, COVID nineteen infections? Uh, Professor Paris, <laughs> I... yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, I, I mean, I think. Uh... I, I doubt whether dripping aircons per se is a major source of COVID-19 infections. Uh, the, uh, I mean, there are other problems, of course, associated with that, but uh, not so much uh, a matter of COVID. I mean, I think the if this recent focus on so-called um, airborne transmission is primarily the concern is uh, in crowded environments with the air circulation being poor, that is a, a, a risk, yes. But once air is exhausted to the outside, um, then it gets diluted. And this dilution factor is extremely important because if you, you don't get infected with single infectious virus particle. I mean, it takes a minimum infectious dose. So the dilution effect of air outside is extremely important in reducing risk. This is a reference to the, the World Health Organization acknowledging that uh, there is emerging evidence that the coronavirus can be spread by tiny particles uh, suspended in the air, which can stay in the air for a long time. Uh, so so does, does that place a, an added emphasis on the need for, you know, for, for good ventilation in homes and offices and so on? Definitely, yes. I mean, I think the issue of ventilation is critical and... Uh, you know, I mean, it can be as simple as uh, having your windows open. I, I realize in the hot summer days that can be a challenge, but certainly, uh, you know, good ventilation is important, uh, especially if you have many people in, um, you know, gathering in one place. Actually, I mean, Professor Pierce, in Hong Kong, the summer is is a time when more people, you could argue, are inside because it's too hot to be outside. Um, and people are doing things like gathering in shopping malls or places where there's air conditioning. So, you know, are there ways that um, the, the owners of those buildings can, can relieve the situation at all? 
um, I think it, it, uh, it's relevant, you know, to, to, to both sides, I mean, to, to, to the general public as well, to be uh, aware of the risks of crowded places. I mean, wearing masks, uh, which of course is quite common in Hong Kong, but um, uh, still need to pay attention to that. In terms of the owners of premises, uh, as I mentioned, the important thing is to make sure that the air changes, what, what we call technically speaking, that means the, the rate at which the AI is replaced uh, in, a, in a particular airspace uh, can be maximized. Uh, Dr. Borwine, um, we had 19 uh, confirmed locally transmitted cases yesterday, uh, I think nine the day before. Um, um, do we have to prepare ourselves for um, a, a very large number now um, before we can get this thing under control again? Well, I think in public health one always prepares for the worst but hopes for the best. So, you know, I hope that's not going to happen, but we have to... We have to consider that possibility and prepare as if it might happen, which means we have to consider, you know, quickly reinstituting social distancing rules. One of the things we learned with this, as well as with SARS, but we definitely learned with this, that one of the secrets to Hong Kong's success has been early action. Take action before you've got a huge wave. So I think, and, and I'm sure that's being considered at the moment. Okay, we have uh, a few questions for our guests uh, from a listener and regular contributor to this program, uh, actually, and that is uh, Paul Zimmerman. Um, and Paul asks, uh, uh, can the guests each describe the leakage risks of the virus into Hong Kong and indicate numbers? Uh, how porous are we? Question mark. Uh, uh, trucking in and out of Hong Kong, uh, pilots coming in and out of Hong Kong. We've, we've mentioned uh, air crews uh, earlier. Um, businessmen in and out of Hong Kong and the mainland. And then he asks, uh, is quarantine too short? And what can we do about minimising these risks instead of focusing on restricting the local economy? Um, um, Dr. Borwine, would you like to respond to any of those questions? Well, I actually don't know the actual numbers. All of those... Uh all of those issues are places where the border is porous, and it will always be porous. We can't seal ourselves off completely from the world, and we can't quarantine everybody for 14 days. I don't think 14 days is too short in general, and I'm not sure that that's the major source of our current you know, our current problem. We don't know. We just don't know where these cases are coming from. So it's a little bit early to say, you know, we need to we need to enact more strict measures. But we should look at the places that are obvious loopholes and try and plug those as best as we can. Uh, Professor Pires? Yes, I mean, I think it is true that uh, the borders are porous uh, and we need to try to tighten that. But it is also true that the virus is persistent at very low levels on the ground. I mean, we have been sequencing, genetically sequencing the viruses from the previous two outbreaks, uh, you know, the two clusters, if you remember, uh, in May and June, I think. And uh, those two do seem to be linked. So that means there are, there is virus that is circulating undetected. And this is where the social distancing becomes important because, and I think, this is why with the lifting of social distancing, it has allowed these, whether the initiation is from outside or inside, that once you have a trigger, you then have a big cluster. So, I mean, uh, as I say, I mean, I think I'm, I, I fully sympathize with the industries that are affected. And I think the, the government and Hong Kong as a population, we should do our very best to 
to reinvest, to support these industries. But I think the risk is there in terms of gathering in, in, in a small confined spaces. And that is, that is a fact that we have to acknowledge. Mm. Uh, pr- mm, absolutely. Yeah. Can I just say that, you know, we'll never be able to completely keep cases out at the border. We try, we're trying to keep them to a minimum, but we try to, we'll never keep them completely out. So as Professor Perra says, we'll not be able to completely relax on social distancing rules because there will always be little bits of disease in the community that we can't recognize. And without social distancing, one case can rapidly turn into many cases over a month at something like a, up to a thousand cases. So without any social distancing. So we just have no choice but to maintain some level of vigilance and periodically tighten it more significantly. So, Dr. Borwine, how, how do we um, manage this going forward? I mean, uh, many organisations are trying to look at how they can plan for, say, the next six months, whether it's mm-hmm. a, a school or university or even a company. And we saw just yesterday a couple of schools decided to close based on students becoming infected. Mm-hmm. Is, there any, is there any way to, to calculate the risk or to, you know, is it better to just have a blanket policy if we discover a case, we just close everything down? I think we need to be flexible as more information comes in, but and we have to have plans going forward that are flexible, that include possibly closing schools or reducing the numbers there or doing a mixed kind of partially online, partially in, in-person uh, kind of, uh, kind of uh, policy, and that could go for business as well. And, and I think we just have to be flexible because we don't know. We, we just don't know enough to know exactly what the numbers are, what we should exactly do. Um, Professor Perry, so there had been talk of Hong Kong establishing uh, uh, travel bridges or bubbles with uh, Macau, um, other places uh, in Guangdong with a low incidence of uh, COVID-19. Um, Macau has already sort of cast doubt on that idea now that we've got a resurgent in cases in Hong Kong. But uh, uh, so presumably um, that plan um, will have to be sort of rethought, won't it, in the current circumstances? Yes, I mean, I, I suppose it, it is being rethought by by uh, others uh, anyway, right? Uh, as you say, I mean, Macau is reconsidering uh, what to do in, in that situation. So uh, I, I think the immediate focus for the next couple of weeks has to be getting this uh, uh, resurgence under control. Um, and if we are successful, we can then revisit the idea of the travel bubble. Uh, but certainly at the moment, I think attention really should be on Uh, Professor Pierce, just going back to something you mentioned earlier, which is that, that a vaccine or various vaccines may be on the horizon. When a vaccine does become available, how soon is it before you know, one, how effective it is? Um, and secondly, is, is the sort of advice that everybody in the community gets vaccinated?
uh, sort of a surrogate for protection would be looking at antibody responses that are believed to be protective. So uh, still, it's quite early days. We certainly don't have the, 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 the you know, the, the, the first thing that I talked about, which is um, randomized controlled trial data of field effectiveness. But I think the challenge is that um, whatever reasonable vaccines available are getting getting bought up. And unless Hong Kong moves quickly, we will be at the back of the queue and we won't be able to secure um, uh, supplies for a long, long time. I mean, another 12 months, maybe. So I think, unfortunately, we probably have to make some decisions based on imperfect imperfect data uh, at this time if you don't want to lose out. In regard to your question of you know, which which segment of the population needs to be vaccinated. I mean, clearly there are risk groups. Uh, I mean, people who have underlying diseases, people who are the older ages of the population, certainly groups like the elderly care homes. So I think, you know, and, and of course healthcare workers. So uh, these need to be prioritized and uh, depending on how much of vaccine is available because primarily as long as you can protect those most vulnerable uh, for the young uh, segment of the population, uh, the risk is not that great. Uh, just going back to your point you made, uh, as far as you know, is Hong Kong making moves to get in line uh, for the vaccines? Uh, well, I mean, I don't want to comment on... Uh, I mean, certainly discussions are, are taking place within Hong Kong. Okay. Well, thank you very much uh, to our guests in our first uh, half of the program this morning. Thank you to uh, Professor Malik Peris, who you just heard, who's Chair of Virology at Hong Kong University School of Public Health. And thanks also to uh, Dr. Sarah Borwine, who's a Canadian physician who trained at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Um, get in touch. You can email us at uh, backchat at rthk.hk. You can leave a message on our Facebook page at backchat on rthk radio. Three, or why not give us a call if you feel like it? We're on two double three double eight two double six. We've got the news summary uh, coming up shortly. Uh, we'll be back after that three minutes later. A uh, quick look at the weather. It's going to be mainly cloudy and hot with one or two showers. Sunny intervals during the day. Top temperature about thirty-two degrees. Moderate uh, southwesterly winds. The outlook mainly fine and very hot, apart from isolated showers in the next few days. Currently thirty degrees. Humidity eighty percent. In a detailed report following a two-year investigation, the experts called this a tremendous setback which opened the door for abuse by politicians. They cited Facebook's decision to let stand several posts by President Trump in May, saying they promoted hate speech and incited violence. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Back Chat with Karen Coe and me, Jim Gould. And this morning, uh, we're talking about uh, what's being described as the third wave of, coro- of the coronavirus outbreak in the territory. Uh, we'll be joined uh, by two more guests uh, in just a moment. Um, but first, uh, a few more emails to read out. Uh, this one uh, from um, uh, Hong Lo, who says... Uh, um, when are we going to stop allowing family members of those under home quarantine to go in and out? Quarantine is meaningless unless all contacts with a person in quarantine follow the same restrictions. 
Um, this one from G. G says, uh, how much testing is Hong Kong doing daily? Should the number of tests be increased, including some random testing with some limited financial assistance during quarantine, if a local who has not travelled outside Hong Kong tests positive? Um, this one uh, from, uh, from, Paul, from Paul Zimmerman again. Paul says, uh, worrying that the medical experts lack clear immigration data, agree we can't keep it out, otherwise the economy dies. But it appears to me that the medical community needs a very clear and detailed view on cross-boundary traffic. Will they push for this? Uh, Jay writes, uh, Hong Kong has many factory hotels for Chinese tourists in Qingyi. Hong Kong schools purchase very good meals at $18 each, so why isn't the government getting their act together, especially with domestic helpers? And why should the government pay? The employers of the domestic helpers should pay. Many of those families have two people working, and if the work conditions for the domestic helper are not satisfactory, the immigration should be doing their job, and they're not. Imported virus is our weak link. That is a, a reference to uh, domestic helpers uh, being required uh, to spend uh, two weeks in a hotel in quarantine after they arrive uh, in Hong Kong. Um, and uh, oh, another one also um, from Jay who writes, uh, previous schools, sorry, previously schools were closed to stop the kids bringing it back home to the grandparents and parents, which I think we can agree was very successful. And many schools, including uh, government schools went over uh, to home education on the computer, much as this was a pain in the neck. Schools were beginning to get it together, uh, although room for a lot of improvement. Thank you for all your emails. Our address again, um, backchat at rthk.hk. Um, we're also on Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. That's our Facebook page, and we have a message on Facebook. Yes, so a message from Tom on Facebook. He writes, restaurants here have been full for months. People wear masks outside and then take them off when they arrive at their destination. Expecting there could be 50 to 100 people reported infected in coming days like we've seen in other outbreaks. Scary times. Hope our health officials can battle through the complacency. And then he writes, the US space shuttle has 24 successful launches and everyone said look it's working great uh, also he says in his comment there's news Melbourne is going back into six week lockdown after an outbreak with 100 cases a day being reported which they did uh, as of midnight last night. So that comment from Tom on the Facebook page. OK, um, we're now joined by uh, Joseph Lee, who's the healthcare sector lawmaker, and also Professor Ivan Hung, who's the chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases at uh, Hong Kong University's Faculty of Medicine. Uh, good morning to you both. Good morning. Um, uh, Joseph Lee, first, uh, uh, this new outbreak, I guess it couldn't have come at a worse time, just as everybody's receiving $10,000 and being urged to go out and spend it. It now looks as though we're probably going to be advised uh, to, um, to avoid crowded places and, um, and, and restrictions will be reimposed on restaurants and so on. Um, how do you see the situation? Well, as you can see, uh, most of the public health experts have already pointed out that in yesterday, um, this world wave crisis is a result of um, two uh, reasons. Number one is the, the, this is the relaxation of the quarantine exemption. So as you can see, as far as public health is concerned, there's a high potential of uh, infecting new cases in Hong Kong and make that the uh, hidden infectious chain about uh, in the community. 
So as a result, you can see a lot of the cases now is escalating in the community, and the local new cases, even though those with unknown origin or you can't trace the infection, they can, uh, sort of infection, that kind of case is escalating, and that is uh, totally um, alarming. And so I guess the government, first of all, has to look at first uh, those quarantine exemptions. You tighten the measures, and there's a lack, uh, this lack of the exemption might possibly uh, act. Uh, additional risks of another uh, new cases into Hong Kong. And then these new cases would be a kind of uh, hidden uh, cases. As you can see, those of the local new cases, the round low is very high. Then the potential, the, uh, the infectious potential is very high. And so uh, make the situation rather worse. The second thing is about the um, COVID-19 testing. This kind of surveillance, as most of the experts already point out, that the capacity of the te- uh, testing should be uh, increased up to at least uh, 7,500 or so. And uh, as you can see in the past months, the government has not yet fully utilized the private sector. And uh, some of the um, medical lab laboratory representatives have already pointed out that they, their capacity has been increased to in helping the uh, screening and testing up to uh, 3,000, even to 5,000 per day. So the government has not yet uh, make use of this. So I guess uh, at this stage, the government has to consider seriously and, and tighten these two measures. And the first thing is about social distancing measure. And uh, obviously, tightening our uh, restrict, uh, more restriction on the social distancing measure might cause a kind of economic kind of impact. But as far as public health is concerned, the government has to be considered uh, rescale, uh, retightening all, all this measure back to uh, early March. Another thing is about the host authority. Even though we, you can see a preventive measure in the community, uh, my work if the government try to consider this as the above um, suggestion. But the hospital, but the hospital authority in the past few months, uh, some of the issue has uh, quite alarming, like the infrastructure uh, uh, kind of issue, uh, like the negative pressure rooms, uh, the negative pressure what uh, the malfunctioning of this what have frequently of, uh, happened. And so the will this infrastructure well um, have, having any kind of problem if there's a third uh, a wave crisis and, and a lot of people, a lot of infected cases have been infected into hospital. And that's number one. And the number of hospital beds uh, have not yet been coming to attention for the past few weeks, especially where there's a possibility of reopening of those triage wards and the accident immunity surface has to open the triage surface. That kind of issue the hospital authority have to look at. Uh, the first thing is about the um, PPE. As you can see, the personal protective equipment in the past month, the hospital authority tried to tighten uh, the regulate or, or regulate the supply of the PPE to both the frontline staff and the patient in order to stock up. And, and I have no information about the hospital authority about the stocks of the number of PPE if the first wave crisis is coming. So will the hospital authority have a sufficient PPE supply to both patient and frontline staff? That's yet in the coming question. And also another issue that has not yet been resolved is about the fitness testing of the N95 mask. As you can see, in the past two months, uh, the frontline staff often, often reveals that there's a problem of the fitness of this um, N95 uh, surgical mask, which is very crucial in preventing the cross uh, infection. And uh, unfortunately, there's no more news from the hospital authority whether this issue has yet to be solved. So um, uh, I guess the, 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 the above couple of issues has to be clarified if the hospital, hospital authority has to commit herself in uh, fighting against this wave crisis.
Mm. Uh, Joseph Lee, you bring up many, many points there. Just just um, on the hospital authority and not uh, having information from them, why why not? I mean, is it just that nobody's really asked or uh, are they not being forthcoming about sharing what's going on in the hospitals? Well, interestingly, um, back to February and March, uh, uh, I myself and the Associate of Hospital Nursing staff have already pushed the uh, Hospital Authority to announce uh, a couple of issues like the uh, number of stocks and whether the uh, supply of PPE is uh, sufficient. And, uh, and, and, uh, and the Hospital Authority, uh, I, I think, in March, or, uh, in March or, or in the end of April, and uh, have already... Uh, that post these issues to the frontline staff. And, and interestingly, we, we, I think because maybe the uh, crisis is a bit lax and also the situation has become uh, stable, so uh, no more information released public to uh, either frontline staff or to, uh, to us about the number of stock and the PPE. Uh, on the contrary, there are a lot of negative news about the infrastructure is not functioning, that kind of issue. And at this stage, I think the hospital have to come out to at least to commit herself to a guarantee to the public and the finance staff that they, well, all these issues has been resolved. And if the first crisis is coming, and the hospital authority has to give a vote to assure the finance staff and the patient is well protected. Professor Ivan Hung, uh, good morning to you. Morning. So, what would you say would be the priorities now in uh, getting on top of this new wave of infections? Well, um, with regard to the new wave, uh, what we are seeing now is perhaps what happened 14 days ago. So uh, we are expecting more cases to come in uh, over the next couple of days. So uh, I think very, very important is uh, to, again, to tighten up the infection control, including that, of course, is the border control of whether the uh, travelers from back from China or from overseas, then they should be tested uh, regularly uh, everyone should be tested by the full saliva uh, for the uh, for the virus upon arrival, and also uh, perhaps uh, on day 12 at the end of the quarantine. So there are many people who are coming in, of course, uh, being asymptomatic. Nevertheless, they actually carry uh, uh, many viruses in the respiratory tract. So they uh, and also the, the quality of the testing has to be uh, assured. That means that they give enough samples in order to have a, an accurate result. Uh, the testing, again, should be uh, both run by the private and also by the public sector, so that general population have an easy access to the testing uh, at the private, uh, both private and public uh, hospitals or clinics. The other thing, of course, is to maintain the infection control in terms of the universal masking, so everyone making sure that they are wearing masks, especially when they are indoors. Uh, the high risk, of course, is that when you take off your mask uh, during mealtime. So again, the uh, social distancing and also the uh, distancing in terms of uh, allowing the, the number of people in the restaurant, uh, again, has to be tightened up, uh, which these important measures, again, will hopefully bring down the, uh, the number of cases. Another thing, of course, is that the, uh, perhaps they should consider uh, closing the school earlier so that the students will have summer holiday uh, earlier and, and this another measure that could help in containing the virus. Mm. Yeah, because it's nearly the end of term anyway, isn't it, for 
for exactly. local schools. Yeah. Um, um, do, you, do you think just on the quarantine uh, issue, um, how about that, that point made by one of our um, listeners that uh, are the home quarantine arrangements adequate? I mean, because people can stay home, but other family members are around. They may be giving it to their family members who are, who are free to go in and out. Is sufficient given that uh, the uh, they have been tested upon arrival and that the uh, the test the initial test were was negative. Uh, of course, if you are uh, contact with the confirmed cases, then you have to undergo central quarantine. Uh, the other thing that we have to take into account is that the quarantine camp, the number of quarantine camps, is again limited. So you can't quarantine everyone uh, that's coming from overseas. So home quarantine is an effective measure. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that when you are at home, then uh, these individuals, again, should be, uh, you know, wearing masks and they should not be having uh, dinner or lunch or mealtime uh, with their family members. Mm. Mm. Um, Professor Hung, one point that was brought up earlier, actually by Paul Zimmerman, was data. And I'm just wondering, what, what data is being kept and to what, in what detail? And also, who is being um, given access to that data about the pattern of infection or you know, where these cases are coming from, ages, all, all that kind of thing? Well, first of all, I think uh, the Centre of Health Direction is doing a great job in... Uh, uh, capturing all these data and updating them and posing them on the CHP website every day. So these are data, including, of course, the number of cases, the confirmed cases, number of suspected cases, number of uh, people who are still being hospitalized, discharged, or mortality in ICU. Uh, and, of course, they also posted the, uh, the location uh, of, the, uh, of these uh, cases. So these are, I think, important data. Uh, in terms of... Uh, Quarantines, again, uh, the number of quarantine cases, uh, these data is again being captured by the Department of Health uh, and, and also updated and posted online. Uh, in terms of for, for hospital, hospitalized cases, then, of course, the details will be uh, captured or have been captured by the hospital authority. Uh, and, uh, in fact, all the, uh, uh, the, the doctors uh, in working in the public sector, they have access to these data uh, for further analysis. I mean, it's interesting in some places like in Singapore and um, even in Australia, they're using mobile apps, which I believe in Singapore could be compulsory for people to use if you want to leave your home. For example, even to go to the supermarket, you have to check in with your phone. And uh, in that way, the data is captured that you have visited this supermarket at this time. Um, in Australia, it's voluntary. Would would there be a case for introducing something like that to Hong Kong? Well, this is the uh, well. This is useful if the uh, you know if the returnees or the individuals are allowed to to go outside of their home. Uh, but if in Hong Kong, uh, for the fourteen days quarantine, you are being uh, you know kept at home. So. Uh, in other words, that these cases will not be necessary because you're already kept in home. Uh, so it depends what type of quarantine measures that you're practicing and whether you're allowing these home quarantine individuals to go outside. Uh, if that's the case, then these apps, of course, will, will, will help to trace down the, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the infection route. Uh, but otherwise, I think the 14-day quarantine, if you are being kept at home, then these measures will not be necessary. 
Um, Joseph Lee, uh, you're a legislator, you represent the healthcare sector. Um, as I mentioned before, so the administration has given out $10,000 to every permanent re resident, it's in the process of doing so, many people have already received that, and, um, and they are being urged to go and spend it. What would you expect the advice to be now? Um, um, hold on, save it, spend it later, stay home instead? from the administration point of view um, there should be a balance between the infectious control in controlling the community outbreak and also the economic impact of the um, COVID-19. If uh, at this stage, as you can see, the um, number of new cases, local new cases escalating, and if the administration still encourages the public to spend the additional $10,000 in whatever way in the community in order to boost the economy, well, that may in contrast to the uh, public health issues that we are facing, especially as you can see. And, and spending this um, additional kind of $10,000, it can be in many ways. Uh, as you can see now, um, there's a potential risk of the um, infectious outbreak in the elderly home. And so um, might be people who consider uh, this kind of additional measures to spend on protecting themselves instead, in, uh, instead of uh, entering, uh, instead of spending it into entertainment. And as you can see, the, proper, uh, the, the elder home is now uh, in high risk. And those infectious control measures and the lacking of support, even though, uh, especially those residents and staff, that kind of situation, they have, might, might encourage people to use more, let's say, technologies uh, if you want to visit the um, residents in the early home, and that you can spend it. Uh, other, uh, rather than just encourage people to spend all this money for entertainment in order to boost up the economy. There's uh, many ways to boost up the economy. Uh, 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 that would be the issue. Uh, talking about elderly homes, um, of course, uh, we have seen in, in other parts of the world, as Karen uh, was saying earlier, um, that uh, elderly people are particularly vulnerable. Once an infection gets into an elderly care home, it can cause uh, very serious problems. Uh, uh, what uh, special measures do you think we need to now see uh, introduced, uh, possibly, possibly new measures uh, in Hong Kong to, to protect people staying in elderly care homes? Well, fortunately, in the past month, even though there we have uh, encountered first wave, uh, first wave and second wave of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic in Hong Kong, and the elderly homes are, are, are so-called uh, safe in the past few months, and now there's an outbreak. So, as you can see, there's uh, some inadequacy in this elderly home, like, uh, first of all, the staff. But most of the elderly home staff, be it nursing staff or other supporting staff, their uh, training of infectious control is limited. And uh, especially about uh, the uh, PPE, uh, those uh, protective equipment, sort of supply, as you can see, uh, we've already urged in the past month, uh, urged the social welfare department to uh, help supplying all those public, uh, public personal protective equipment to the staff and also increase their training on infectious control. And that kind of issue has not yet been resolved. If we are trying to minimize outbreak in elderly homes, that the uh, government departments, like the welfare department, the Department of Health, and even the HA have to channel resources to support the uh, frontline staff in this elderly home. The second thing is, is, is about the elderly. As you can see, the residents in this elderly home is very vulnerable. And so tighten all these infectious control measures, including uh, visiting hours and other things should be uh, uh, done as well. And uh, possibly if we can screen 
those high risk cases. Uh, as you can see, most of the um, private, especially private home, the uh, uh, physical environment is not very desirable as far as the infrastructure control measures are concerned. So the this, uh, government department might help to restructure those um, physical, uh, physical measures and uh, just to protect the residents of the uh, of all these uh, of the uh, elderly home and and uh, try to and also try to run away those uh, environment which is not favorable as you can see in this uh, new cluster of uh, elderly home infection and and the elderly home is uh, trying to use the same uh, uh, live with the public. And that means that the high risk of the uh, infectious outbreak, if the public has get infected and they use the same entrance, and might uh, cause a, a risk of um, infection in our outbreak in this in these private uh, elderly homes. Mm. Um, Mr. Lee, would, would that uh, argument also argue for, for example, testing of all staff who work in elderly care homes, no matter what role? I come to understand that the uh, Department of Health have already pointed out they uh, try to use random sampling to sample some of the cases uh, and the uh, staff of these residents for undergo testing. Uh, that is good. But in this, uh, uh, try to prevent an uh, outbreak in the household home, and the uh, Department of Health might consider increase the number of samples and for testing or screening and uh, for the staff. And that might work. And also, uh, as you can see, some of the um, origin of the infection cannot be traced. That is uh, very alarming. And so uh, not just doing all this screening, but also all kind of injection control measure training should be implemented for the frontline staff and for these uh, elderly homes uh, in order to minimise outbreak. Professor Hung, would you go along with that? Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, I think we should uh, tighten up the infection control, especially in the elderly home. Uh, in terms of perhaps uh, screening all the elderly, all the elderly home staff, uh, giving up with a baseline, uh, and also training them up in terms of infection control measures, uh, in terms of wearing masks, uh, and making sure that where these uh, elderly people or residents, when they are, ha- you know, they will be distancing when they are having a meal time, so they will be staggered at uh, having the meals at different times, uh, and also early report of cases uh, that have signs of symptoms uh, of COVID-19 so that they can be tested promptly and then uh, being hospitalized and quarantined. Uh, one very important thing, of course, is treating these elderly individuals because uh, they, are, they have, you know, many different kind of comorbidities. So they have high risk of uh, complications and mortality. And early treatment uh, in this group of individuals will be uh, very, very important. So, I mean, they're definitely a, a priority group. Um, in, in terms of how, for example, if, if someone falls sick in an elderly care home and with coronavirus, are they, would they immediately you know, be moved to a public hospital for treatment? Yes. Uh, in fact, if they have signs and symptoms, if they are tested positive, then they will be uh, quickly hospitalised uh, into uh, public hospitals for treatment, uh, which we have an effective treatment currently. Uh, and um, for contact of these cases, then, of course, they will be quarantined. Uh, and currently, I think they have opened up the new quarantine camp in Pokfulan, uh, where they will be, uh, these uh, subjects will be uh, quarantined. Um, Professor Hong, the other interesting thing that we see happening in, in other countries in the world is a lot more infections among young people. Um, yeah. And although... 
young people like to think they're bulletproof and they, you know, in in maybe generally you could say not as not as seriously affected. There have been quite a few cases of them becoming seriously ill and also having long longer term side effects. Um, is is that? Do you think that's always been a feature of coronavirus, but we just weren't paying so much attention to it before? Yeah, I think if you have a large enough number of cases, then you are seeing more uh, young people who develop complications uh, and perhaps mortality. Uh, and the same applies to Hong Kong. I think uh, even for young people, they can uh, develop some serious symptoms and complications. Uh, and many of them, in fact, they do have uh, symptoms like anosmia, the loss of smell and taste that have to be treated earlier. Uh, and I think early treatment uh, with an effective antiviral will be most important in reducing uh, the complications and also to reduce the viral shedding because uh, these individuals may be asymptomatic, but they will be in the community uh, carrying a high viral load and shedding the virus. So if you can hospitalize, uh, diagnose them, hospitalize them quickly and treat them early on, that will reduce the viral shedding. And of course, uh, passing the virus to uh, family members and to uh, friends and, uh, and and other elderly individuals who are high risk. Okay, well, thank you very much uh, to uh, both our, our second half guests. Uh, thank you to Professor Ivan Hung, who you just heard from there, who's the uh, Chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Hong Kong University's Faculty of Medicine. And thank you also to Joseph Lee, who's the Healthcare Sector Legislator. And um, just before um, Karen Ko and I uh, bid you uh, farewell from back chat this morning, um, um, one final email. Uh, this Another one from Jay says, uh, this $10,000 is a joke, probably, 40% of, of Hong Kong had to use the 10,000 to pay all their bills because they're in debt of which the banking system is saying thank you very much. So the only people spending money are those who already had it. Probably that's why the stock market suddenly has a boost because those already have money have an extra $10,000. Um, okay, thanks for listening this morning. Um, uh, before we go, uh, we'll have uh, a quick look at the weather. Um, it's going to be uh, mainly cloudy and hot with one or two showers uh, sunny intervals during the day with a top temperature of about 32 degrees in the urban areas a couple of degrees higher in the new territories uh, moderate southwesterly winds um, the outlook is for mainly fine and very hot weather apart from a few isolated showers in the next few days it's currently 30 degrees relative humidity 80 percent Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, take preventive measures when commuting. Avoid rush hours and busy times and take advantage of flexible working hours. Wear a mask when taking a ride. If possible, open the windows to ventilate the vehicle. Clean your hands with liquid soap and water or alcohol-based hand rub after using public transport or touching public facilities. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. And now the new summary with Samantha Butler. A public doctor has expressed concern about whether public hospitals can cope with a mass coronavirus outbreak after authorities reported 19 new local cases yesterday. Arasina Ma, president of the Public Doctors Association, described it as embarrassing that the hospital authority had started to resume normal services and revert some isolation wards back to normal as it was thought the pandemic was under control. 
A former senior civil servant says the government cannot mandate loyalty and it must be earned. Elizabeth Bolscher, a former deputy secretary for economic services, was commenting after the government proposed all civil servants pledge allegiance to the Hong Kong SAR and declare to uphold the basic law. And the Trump administration has stepped up its demands for schools to reopen on schedule next term, despite a surging rate of coronavirus infection in many parts of the United States. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, interpreter of Beethoven, as well also shy, quiet, and retiring doggy counselor, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults. It's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online. This is the Morning Brew. Yep, good morning. It's Thursday. Good to be back with you. I'm Phil Wheeler. Nice, easy one on today's programme. Steve Vines in the chair at 10.10 for his regular look at the immense week that was. Do email us, morningbrew at rthk.hk, and I will stick him on Facebook Live as well on our Morning Brew page. Dr Dave the Vet with me after 11.30. Anything you want to ask him, totally up for it. He wants to talk about backs and spines and stuff. And after 12, Maestro J.C. Viennes brings you this week's luxury wine wine. That's it for a Thursday. Look out for the Facebook Live alerts on and off throughout the morning.